Hi, Sophie. Hi, Sin. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Snack Covenant, episode two sixty-three. Today, we have some very special guests with us. It's Troy Baker. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Like to introduce themselves first. Do you want to go first, mate? No, no, you can go first. <laughs> okay. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm Wesley. I am part of the. For now, it's called Project Eclipse, which is a mod restoration of Dark Souls Three Alpha. I'm the scriptwriter. I do all these things that no one cares about, which is lore. Yeah, we don't care about that. Yeah, we don't care about that. <laughs> And with me, I have my "quote unquote" boss, which is Abyss One. Some some of you guys might be familiar with. He is essentially the mod director. He's also the producer. He's also the co-writer. He helps me with a lot of stuff. Do you want to say some words, Abyss? Uh, hi, my name is Abyss One, and. You work very, very hard. Help me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do my best to translate him. He will be speaking in Portuguese, Brazilian, and and we're both from Brazil. So yeah, I think it it will be it will be a very great session. Awesome! Thanks so much, yeah. and thanks so much for coming and taking the time out of your yeah, busy schedule. Hi, it's our pleasure. We love you guys seriously. Oh, thank you. We really love you. <laughs> <laughs> okay well if you really love us okay so you brought this upon yourself oh god darn have you seen the five-hour analysis of reborn oh god <laughs> <laughs> hi sophie here in what began as a weird running joke, was cute for a little bit and is now genuinely some form of all-consuming obsession of sins, she managed to make the podcast about Reborn already. Reborn is an anime that nobody except Sin cares about. Or is it? Because later on in the podcast we'll discover that Reborn is anything but a joke. Back to the podcast. Also, please don't stop listening. This this one, we actually, there's information in this one. The Reborn stuff's really short. I'm so, I'm so sorry. This mod is, like, so amazing. It's incredible. Oh, thanks. I've seen screenshots of it, and I don't even recognize that it's the same game. He says that I think the most difficult part of the mod is to make significant changes to the maps so they could have some sort of a new identity to be at the same time something that you can relate okay this is dark souls 3 still but something completely new being okay this is something that we all wished for once that we could have but we never had because not even from software had the time to do what we all wished for a lot of it's done through lighting as well which is it shows you like the the power of what lighting can actually change because I know that like some of the lighting's been ported over from Sekiro, like you've ported over the lighting mechanics from that, and it just feels completely different, even though it's the same map. Yeah, yeah. 
Wesley, eu acho que uma das coisas que... We have this feeling with the two previous games, these ones being Bloodborne and Dark Souls 3, that even though they share the same engine, they are significantly different, even in the, in the settings and how the, the lighting it's properly done because Bloodborne has this feeling of everything is soaked. It's almost like a dream that came out of a water, uh, funny enough. And Dark Souls 3 is this very decayed world, but not in a purposefully way, at least not for us, for me to abyss, but it seems like that he is dead because something, the development is dead. Right. Before we can continue, of course, I first would like to thank all the community because even though we have this goal to be as faithful as possible towards what we know a bit of what used to be Dark Souls 3, uh, we would like to thank the community because everything that we've done so far, it's only thanks to them, especially the members of the server name. You know, Catalash, Miomarithus, And all these guys who build amazing tools and had share amazing ideas. And it taught us a lot, especially me, how to approach mod development, which is something completely new to me and to Eugenio, at least. We are very thankful to these guys, especially, you know, Zilli. Uh, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Lance's videos. And Senadiske, my, my favorite. And of course, especially you guys, because I literally wouldn't have any interest in trying to recreate the story of Dark Souls 3 if it wasn't for that video about God's Grave that you guys did. Oh, okay. Especially God's Grave video. Thank you. Exactly. Because it was, it was the video that that one and the Dark Souls 3 uh, content, which you guys talked about you know, Sullivan being the last boss and everything. That video was the video that after I finished him, I was like, okay, that explains a lot. Suddenly <laughs> explains a lot about this game. Yeah. I think that that's been my experiences with this cut stuff that we keep covering is like the cut stuff that happens in Bloodborne and the cut stuff from Dark Souls 3, they are appealing to people for two completely different reasons. Yeah, Because the cut stuff with Bloodborne is people are just really into Bloodborne and finding out more about it is just interesting. Mm -hmm. Because like the story of the game wasn't radically altered at any point. You just sort of would find out little bits and pieces. It's just like more more of this world people are invested in. Whereas the thing about Dark Souls 3's cut stuff is it's it's appealing to people because it's like, oh, yeah, like you said, that explains it. Yeah, exactly. Because Dark Souls 3 had this real aura of something isn't quite finished. Exactly. And yeah, and looking at the cut stuff, it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> it, it's really like the fact that Dark Souls 3 has a gigantic bridge that goes nowhere is sort of like <laughs> symbolic of oh the my entire fucking project. God. That's like... That bridge makes me mad. <laughs> yeah. Dark Souls 3 only makes sense if you're living in a crazy dream. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. everything's crazy. And it's not in a it's not in a Kojima's meta way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So for people who may not be familiar with your project, can you tell us a little bit about what you're trying to achieve with it? Our first goal 
was initially to replicate that feeling that those leaked images from the know could have been done, uh, it being something that we could actually play. Yes, that is also something I would like to play. <laughs> <laughs> so you said you, you started with that and then you've like sort of evolved from there on? Uh, seeing a, a... He would initially go from that, but when he came across scenarios like Profane Capital, Carters and Smoldering Lake, uh, he felt, and especially me nowadays, that we have to create our own identity. Yeah. We barely know what these scenarios could be. So, and it, this is part of the mentality to the mod also because we know so little about what Dark Souls 3 could have been. We want to replicate this experience, but we don't know exactly what it is, this full experience. So we have to try to imagine what it was there. One thing that he thinks that is important to say also to complement uh, what I just said is that some of the bosses on Dark Souls 3 Vanilla feels like they're waiting to die, <laughs> but, just, but there's not really much to it. So yeah. we have this wish also that we can add a little more things to feel that there's more complexity to it than just a shallow concept. So we are trying also to add a little bit of new mechanics to how this boss works, how the environment storytelling works also, and try to feel a little bit more alive, even though it's a world that it's almost dying. It's something like that. Could, could you um, tell us a bit about like the new mechanics that you're trying to add, or is that, is that a secret? Yeah. No, no, you can tell. Okay. One of the mechanics that, and, the, and this is a huge argument in the mod development, <laughs> I don't think it's necessary, but, no, it, no, but no, uh, this one is trying to recreate. <laughs> but okay, it's fair. I think it's fair, which is the bonfire, um, the bonfire sacrifice thing. Yeah, yeah. Which has given a lot of pain to <laughs> to Eugenio to recreate, actually, because in my head, which is the head of someone that doesn't understand this thing, it's actually pretty difficult to recreate this experience because we have the mechanic, we have all the assets, we have all the concepts, we have all the lines there in the code. We don't know exactly what to do with the mechanic because we only know the idea behind it. We don't know exactly what it was supposed to do, when it was supposed to do, how it was supposed to do. Wesley, o teu problema, Wesley, é que tu... And yeah, he says that my problem is that I wanted to keep the concepts of the Firekeeper. But to bonfire sacrifice to work, it, there has to be no firekeepers working as they used to work in previous games. Whoa. Yeah, he's he's actually not wrong because these two concepts, he they kind of contradict each other in a mechanic way, in a mechanic perspective. Você upa direto na bonfire. Yeah, because we can upgrade, uh, at least in the first game, directly in the bonfire. The mechanic of the level up used to work on the bonfire, and we do know, and I think it's something that was found out um, pretty recently when the the scene of the the cut content was was made. That initially we would uh, level up our character in the bonfires. The firekeeper thing it was a mid game thing. 
this is sort of like the things that we correlate with each other to create a, a cohesive experience because, okay, if Anne Orlando and all these things is something more to the end game, which is something that was covered from, from Lance, from Sanadiske, from you guys especially, if Anne Orlando, this huge thing in the series is something towards the end, then Firelink Shrine is something that okay, it's not going to be at the very beginning of the game. And we have this knowledge because the mod development and with the things that Eugenio find out, we have the knowledge that Firelink Shrine was actually something towards the, the mid-game. It was almost like the feeling that we have in Dark Souls 1 when we get to Anor Londo. And we have that, and we have that big surprise that almost like a, like a reward for the player. And in Dark Souls 3, we we think that it will be the opposite. We have this knowledge of Firelink being a place that, as a concept in the world of Dark Souls, is a place to make you relax, is a place to make you feel good. And this feeling of trying to replicate a calm place, and in Dark Souls 3, it was going to be something decaying, you will have to rebuild from it, is completely um, contradicts with what is in the vanilla. We get to Cemetery of Ash, we suddenly awake, we get to Firelink Shrine, which is not even the same Firelink Shrine from the the mid-game. And it's like those two Firelink Shrines, they contradict each other just for the sake of contradiction. Right. It's kind of something that we, we've been taking care of to make the story to feel progressive in a way. Right, yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. So as you were working on this mod, did you find more things that were meant to be in the game, you think, initially somewhere, and that were different in the finished game? One thing that we can talk about is how the bosses feel almost completely different from what they from what they actually are in the vanilla game. Two bosses in particular that we can talk about is how they changed, uh, not only from places, but how they used to work, which is Volnir and Yorm. Yorm, our favorite. Our favorite. <laughs> Yormshka. Please tell us, how did he get into the plane? <laughs> Hi, Sophie here. We were just having a little bit of a chuckle about how Yorm the Giant couldn't possibly fit inside his boss arena. Sins asked me to make a little note explaining that I once bought a very expensive statue of Yorm. I did not buy a very expensive statue of Yorm. I bought a very expensive statue of Soul of Cinder. Which really isn't a statue of Soul of Cinder, it's a statue of the NPC that Soul of Cinder uses the model of, but wasn't Soul of Cinder when they made the statue. Also, the statue of Yorm isn't called Yorm, for, for the same reason. Also, um, Yorm, in the in the uh, CG intro, he's waking up at Archdragon Peak. And he's probably, at one point, was just called Lord of Cinder. And uh, where he is now... Uh, Walnir was there, you can actually see that in an early trailer, and you might think, oh, they, they swapped them or something, but, um, also, I, I was actually talking to Eugenio from, from this very podcast about two hours ago, and we were looking at the Dark Souls 3 art book, 
And it um it turns out that the the art of Walnia, it looks kind of like it's in a black void, but it's not. It's in like a 98% black void. And if you crank the brightness way way up, um the art of Walnia is actually in the room where you fight the Abyss Watchers. I await discussing Elden Ring's bosses with a very real sense of what I can only describe as looming dread. Back to the podcast. They changed these two bosses from places, but the position that they gave to Yorm doesn't feel exactly natural, like you guys said, and have stated in numbers and numbers of videos of yours now. <laughs> it's it's almost common knowledge by this point. And it feels more natural to be the place of Volnir to be because he was initially supposed to be a very greedy king. And we don't know exactly who this character were supposed to be. Even to this day, we have... It's actually something interesting because yesterday we were we were talking to each other about what we're going to do with this thing. Profaned flame! <laughs> we don't know what to do with this, with this yeah. F thing. I think the actual development was probably a lot like this too. <laughs> he says that he has a theory that it is, it is possible that this character, Volnir, whatever he is, he possibly could have taken something from Smoldering Lake, being the chaos or a manifestation of it. He brings to Profane Capital, which would have been a different place with different meanings, um, possibly not too Latria-like. And it's possible that the Abyss could have corrupted not only the chaos, but himself. Because one interesting thing that we were talking about uh, uh, with some things that we were analyzing, it's that some characters of Irithil, those ghosts that were there are walking, which one of them resembles a lot with the dancer. Some of these ghosts used to be on Profane Capital. They had some features, even in the design works, they have some ghost features like. And it's interesting because we don't have proofs of that exactly, but the line of thought that I gave to, to Abyss was, okay, uh, right above this place is an Orlando. We do know two places that used to be beneath, exactly beneath of an Orlando, which is New Londo and what is that other place? Which is all dark. I forgot the name. Tomb of the Giants. Yes, Tomb yeah. of the Giants. So we don't know exactly if this was the line of thought when they were creating, but something logical to us is that, okay, maybe beneath uh, an Orlando, even in Dark Souls 3, could have been uh, a mist of New Londo and Tomb of Giants because right along them, it's a place that is also a combined concept of two another uh, scenarios of Dark Souls 1, which is Lost Isleth and Ash Lake, which it doesn't make fucking sense to me, but okay. <laughs> you know, I, I remember you like um, Eugenio showing me bits and pieces of smoldering lake and he's like yeah if you press this button it just turns into a swamp and it's like oh <laughs> that makes about ten thousand times more sense yeah <laughs> yeah 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 
I like one of the things about about Irithyll as a place is like everything from Irithyll is is aesthetically unified, but it's only really aesthetically unified through color. Yeah, like in terms of actual design, like there's no real consistency between like jagged edges and smooth edges, or like thick armor and thin armor. So like Vort, Vort and the Dancer kind of look the same because they're the same color, but if you separate them, it's like these have nothing in common. Exactly, design wise, yeah. Wesley, yeah, he said that thematically, um, it's what he just said, Sophie. Thematically, Dancer, Vort, and Pontiff Sullivan, they they don't match up. Nothing about them match up. They don't feel part of the same uh, cohesive story, because I think it. I think it was voided, right? That uh, you found that he had some creatures in it. Babies. Little babies. He had babies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wesley. Yeah, he said that maybe. They started. They started to make changes uh, to feel more like a "quote unquote" cohesive theme when they. I don't know because it it feels weird because in the same place we used to have dancer and Vord, which is not really consistent enough as uh, as thematic creatures to a thematic story that is happening there, and as we know, uh, Highwall used to be. A completely different place. It was it used to have different themes, different characters, different meanings. Dancer. Yeah, it used to have the dancer itself, which was a more important character. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was almost like uh, the, the Nemesis concept, as far as we know, because she used to be a chaser of some sort, because you, she was at least what we are gathering. I don't know if you can prove this much, because Dancer used to be like uh, a character that was constantly after um, what was her name? Shrek. Yorchka. Ah, Yorchka. Yorchka, our other favorite. Our other yeah, favorite. Yeah, there's a lot of Yorchka. She makes as much a sense as Yorm. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, in the head canon of the Snack Covenant, Yorm mm-hmm. and Yorchka are dating. Mm-hmm. And they also had two kids, Yormshrik and Yormshkrian. Yes, Yormshkrian. that's true. And we, we did a Soul Level 1 playthrough as the Yormshkas. Hi, Sophie here. Sin's reference to the Yormshkas is referring to our Soul Level 1 playthrough of the original Dark Souls, in which we played as Yorm and Yorshka's children, Yormshkrian and Yormshkrik. I personally can't remember who played who, and I'm sure Sin can't either, because she was drunk. But because she edits these sober, I'm sure she'll remember to link the complete catastrophe below. Back to the podcast. Something that we can talk about a bit is how Dark Souls 3 had a very distinctive development stages because he had almost like five years of development and each build or each stage of the development feels very different from each other, especially the, the first one, the alpha, as far as we know. We have the alpha, which is... 
as far as we know, is represented through the those images of the known. And we have the build of Gamescon, which is the beta of 2015, I think, I believe. We have the closed beta, which is the network, the network test. And we have the, the retail, the final game. And all of these versions of the game feels almost completely different from each other. We have the same the same places, the same assets, we have the same characters, but they are completely different with completely different purposes. And it's strange because I almost feel like that there is three different stories and three different design uh, design concepts throughout this development. Yeah. Again, like like going back to when we we're talking about the difference between like Bloodborne cut stuff and Dark Souls 3 cut stuff is like Bloodborne went through a lot of revisions and a lot of rewrites, but yeah. like from the beginning, it was always basically the same set of ideas. Mm-hmm. Like it's like blood, great ones, dungeons, church. Yeah. Blood makes you into a beast if you're not smart enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then they just sort of played around with that. And like, if you look at the way that developed in terms of like the rewrites and the changes and everything, what mm-hmm. those rewrites and changes did is like, they brought out those themes more and more. Yeah. So some things don't quite gel, like, and some things are sort of kind of underdeveloped, like Queen Yarnum, but like they're, they're used to bring out like ideas about like children and stuff like that, that maybe weren't in there initially. And sort of with the progressive rewrites, they progressively focused on those ideas more. Whereas with Dark Souls 3, it looks like they just kind of like would start over. Yeah. 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 And they would start they would start a new project, but mm-hmm. as we know, Bandai Namco doesn't give proper ways for you to do so. Right. So we have this feeling of they have to make the same game, they have to recreate their ideas, but they don't have a lot of a lot of resources too. Right. They have to they have to reuse what it's already done, and they have to recreate this huge thing in a very short amount of time. And yeah, he says that, and this was actually covered from Sophie, I think. This was covered by Sophie when she went to Bonfire Side Chat. And she said, if I remember correctly, that Dark Souls 3 in the, under the development was, it was supposed to be the end of the series. It was supposed to be the end of everything. Sophie, I think you're muted. You're muted, my love. Sorry, sorry. I muted it to make the cat quiet. Um, okay. So yeah, yeah. In um, in the early Dark Souls three press, what they were saying was like they were talking about a trilogy, mm-hmm. very specifically. Like, there's three of them, and the third one is the end, and it's like going yeah. to be in. And like those are the no screenshots. There's that one everyone kind of knows of what looks like the drag heap, but it's on fire. Yeah. And there's this massive, like, black sun, and it looks like the end of the world. And, like, knowing what we know now about other stuff that's being dug up, it's like, oh, it looks like it might actually have been the end of the world. With, like, the untended grave being like, okay, the world's gone dark. And then what happens is there's suddenly this, like, it veers in another direction in the interviews, and they start talking about it in terms of, like, the series is going in a new direction. Yeah. So it's gone from trilogy to series and like conclusion to mm-hmm. new direction. And I yeah. think again, that's that's the source of a lot of the frustration that I think 
people, including, I guess, you guys, because you're doing this whole mod thing, have with it. Yeah. Where, like, the end of Dark Souls 3, not the end, but the sort of penultimate plot developments seem like something really significant is going to happen. And then they just link the fire. Yeah. And it's like, okay, this will happen again. So it's like, it's like we're heading toward the apocalypse and then it just stops. And then it's like, <laughs> right. stop, stop. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Yeah. It feels very weird because yeah, yeah. the game is going to a direction of possibly the player could be the catalyst of mm. what will be the end of the world or will be a new beginning. But suddenly eclipse, fucking flying trees, yeah, uh, <laughs> terrible final boss. Nothing change. And Nothing two change. terrible yeah. DLCs. Yeah. That doesn't go to nowhere. <laughs> oh, yeah. The DLCs are the best part. Then he says no. And yeah, he said no. that the DLC is also, it's like the vanilla is telling a story, which is already a terrible one. And and suddenly, the DLC tells another story. Yeah. And not only they tell a different story from the vanilla game, but they do a lot of retcom. Mm. É, nós podemos falar desses retcons, né? And yeah, uh, he said that maybe something that we can talk about also is how the DLCs, not only they do a retcon towards the, the first two games, but they also did a lot of retcon in the third game itself. And mm. they they don't really match up. Well, I, I feel like a lot of the, again, like the, the feelings that people have toward Dark Souls 3 that are negative, it's not like oh, fuck this, I hate it. It's actually, it's frustration. Yeah. Because it's sort of like, it's like there is this story, but it's on the other side of the dirty window that you can't quite see through. Yeah. So, and every so often you catch glimpses of like what they're doing, but then it will veer off in another direction. It won't actually go there. Yeah. He says the same feeling of of him trying to, to find even more cunt content to make any kind of sense of what Dark Souls 3 could have been. <laughs> so, like, like with regard to the cut stuff, because we know that they sort of, rather than it being, like, this sort of gradual iterative thing, they seem to have just, like, started, stopped, started, stopped, started, stopped. Is there a process for you deciding, like, what you're going to use? He said that it will feel like I'm repeating myself again, but it's kind of the same vision that we we look to the images of the no and what we know about the no, we sort of like traced our way of thinking towards that feeling because the, the build of Gamescon and the network test already feels like part of a game that it's being rushed. It's yeah, being, right. these two versions already feel like they don't really match up with the concept that is in the alpha version because... Things that we know, at least about the, the network test and the little bit that we know about the Gamescon version, is that these games, they sort of started like to repurpose ideas and concepts that anything that contradicts the direction or the vision that were in the, the no images or what we know so far about that build, we just sort of like push away because it will contradict it's not yeah. because we don't like the ideas we don't like uh the executions although we really don't like but <laughs> we we sort of like see that there will be contradictions they won't match yeah. each other 
Yeah. Tu pode comentar o caso de... He said that one of the examples that clearly shows how they change the direction is how in the network test we have that concept of us going to Firelink Shrine to the first game, uh, descending to uh, the kiln of the first game and fighting Pontiff Sullivan, which is already strange enough because in the alpha in the alpha images we have this knowledge that the end game will be in drag heap which is high wall on fire that image of that place being destroyed and everything and this already changes how the concept of the final game itself and dark souls is very hard to do so because every single every single bit of word every single bit of environmental storytelling is very important so if you see this concept of us going to the kiln, uh, and we have this other concept of us actually ending the game in high wall, which is makes more cohesive sense because we would initially start the game there. Because so maybe there's something that would go around, and we could go back there to do something that we actually don't know. Uh, it it makes more cohesive sense in a thematic way, at least. He said that one of the things that it, that also feels weird is how we have this new story that also doesn't make sense too because we have this idea that Lothric is a Lord of Cinder, mm. but he actually never linked the flame. Yeah, what did it, what is necessary to become the uh, a Lord of Cinder? Because this. This fucking game doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, so, do do you want to use this as a segue to talk about like the Lothric Sullivan connection, or do you want to leave that for later? He said that yes, we can talk about that because there's some interesting stuff about it. Uh, Lothric and Sullivan, we it's kind of funny because we have this this imagery through uh, throughout uh, Highwall that. Especially in that statue in the first mm. section of the game, before yeah. we before we go downstairs to fight Orvort or Dancer, that this character doesn't really feel like Lothric because he has some things about him that doesn't really match up. The, the sword is clearly looking like the sword of Pontiff Sullivan. He has that that thing in his head. I forgot the name. Doesn't really match up with yeah. anything that we know about Lothric image. Yeah. So so people know like this is um this is the statue in High Wall that the Wind Knights sort of circling with all the corpses. Yeah. Strangely enough, uh we have some things in the design works that does shows us that the Lothric character used to go to a different directions because in the design works we have this image of Lothric kinda like um uh, spitting out of Lorian's body, almost like the the end of Sekiro's when Genitro does that that thing to his grandma came out of his fucking neck. That doesn't make sense, <laughs> but I like it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's great. Hello everybody. If you're looking at this image and thinking, I don't see a Lothric, you're not alone. Sophie and Sin have had access to the Dark Souls 3 art book for five years now, and only just noticed that Lothric is in this image. That sneaky little prince 
is hiding right here. So now that you know, we can go back to discussing the mod. Lothric, as far as we know, he used to have quote-unquote final form, something that we would have touched a uh, dead body, could have been his dead body because the object is uh, related to him. It would start at a third phase or some sort. And as far as we know, we also have that interesting out-of-place leak from the know that we have the knowledge that Kaf would have been the fight. We don't know right. how exactly, mm. but he would have been associated with that fight. And we actually found out some effects uh, related to not only Kaf, but this quote-unquote final form of Lothrix. Um, do, do you want to go over what those facts are? Because this is new to a lot of people. It It is some special effects of... We have some special effects of blood. We have some uh, special effects of some sort of some sort of aura rising up through some sort of physical body. We don't know exactly how the body is. We only know um, some some effects, some purple effects, which is it's the dark. I found it weird because the first game established that it's black, but it's in the third game is purple, which is the representation of dark or abyss and all this stuff. Oh, yes, and he said that we also have an effect that it's some sort of portal that they don't use anywhere, but it's it was among these effects uh, in this data related to these files that we found this open gate of some sort, magical gate of some sort. Right, in, in Lothric's throne room. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. And it's very weird. Yeah, yeah. He said that we can also talk some things about God's Grave because there's some interesting info about that place. Mm -hmm. That would be great, yeah. Yeah, super cool. He said that at the time that the data mining was being done, there was a lot of confusions. Reasonable, because... A lot of a lot of people think that this imagery of these rocks and these things related to the bridge used to bring us to God's grave, but it's actually it would actually bring us to another place because in the network test we have this key that what was the name again? Abyss? Key of the bridge. Right. Is that the same one that got data mined? Like it has an icon that looks aesthetically like Arch Dragon Pig. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we do have the knowledge that that key used to let us to Arch Dragon Peak. Right. Beyond that bridge was not God's Grave. It was actually Arch Dragon Peak, which does feels more quote unquote cohesive because right after that place that we don't know if it was already Osiris or if it was Gundia, but that structure all of that structure doesn't really match up well with Lotric's castle because a lot of stones, even the door, feels more like a something that was taken out of Dark Dragon Peak. Right. Oh, yeah. And the key, uh, some people might have think that it would actually let us to a special place, but it was actually the door to the Hellkite. Oh, yeah. And he said that we can actually talk about the, the cloth map. Because there's some yeah, interesting things really in good. that in that image. Yeah. 
abyss. Uh, he said that there's some interesting things about uh, these changes because they really show up in the in the cloth map because they really look like uh, the changes that was happening in the network test, like mm -hmm. the bridge being connected to the castle directly and how we have these little things that shows us that maybe the places were in completely different areas. They were maybe, what was the word? They were connected in a, in a more of Dark Souls one way. The places were more... Interconnected. Yeah. Uh, yeah, interconnected. I remember that being a big thing with um, Undead Settlement. Yeah. Like the first time I went there realizing, oh, this place like technically kind of connects to three areas, but they're all dead ends and realizing, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then finding out, oh, that, that big pit actually went somewhere else. That makes sense. Exactly. Uh, he said that it's curious. It's interesting how uh, on that settlement have some three thematic design places in only in only one giant place and yeah. it doesn't really match up we have yeah. uh skeletons teams uh, right beneath on that settlement we have hollows team you have forest concept which is mm. weird we have the the big three that doesn't really feel like something yeah. that connects thematic with that place it almost feels like it should be the hub yeah in a lot of ways yeah because right at right at her side when we enter the boss room we have that at the far end we have almost like an entrance but it's not really an entrance it's there's a wall there that doesn't really let yeah. us go through and there's an entrance that Eugenio found that we we could have actually uh, go it was inside the the rotten tree or something like that uh, no, yeah, okay. Uh, he corrected me. He said that <laughs> <laughs> actually there was uh, an entrance on her right side that would actually lead us to a corridor that we will make a, a, a segment that would actually lead us to that pit. And I, I believe uh, the place where it is the Dead Covenant, which I forgot the name because who cares? <laughs> Mount Makers. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would actually let us to another place, and there is a corridor that we could uh, descend. Mm. Yeah, I've seen like two totally different versions of that pit. Like one is one is an entryway, and one is like full of bookshelves. It's so weird. Yeah, yeah. It feels very weird. Essa temática de livros. Yeah said that it, it's interesting how we have this concept of three different things in the same place that we have the three but uh, the tree we, we usually used to have and there's even in the uh, image in the design works which is exactly uh, how Sophie described there used to be some bookshelves in that pit which I think it would explain the existence of those books that had some magical hands sticking out of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Because also in the design works, there's the image of the undead, the like the laborers from the settlement, and they also have the hands coming out of their backs, and it's like there's something about this area that's connected to the weird hands. 
Yeah. Yeah. And this place even used to have some fireflies. Strangely enough, it would have some fireflies. I think he showed it off in one of your videos, right? Yeah. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. It makes the place very beautiful, actually. Mm, yeah. And yeah, interestingly enough, uh, we had this knowledge that he pissed off some assets to see their numbers, what, uh, their functions and all. And we have this knowledge that God's Grave would actually be in Ferenc Forest, uh, Catacombs and Smoldering Lake. He's a kind of a, what used to be only one place became three. Play, three, three different places with three different thematics and it, it's actually feel it actually explains a lot about how this place is um, if you think hard enough about their function as a gameplay purpose it's actually funny to see how they really match up a bit yeah he said that interesting enough this these three places and what essentially used to be God's grave, they, he, he used to be some sort of fungus thematic. Some things in that place uh, used to be corroded by some, some sort of fungus. And it, it's interesting how we see this imagery in some bosses. We have the knowledge right now that the dragon angel, which is essentially Osiris, he has some sort of fungus-ish thing in his back growing on him. And it in in the beginning we have also these fungus things in the Smoldering Lake arena. That big that big huge place used to have some some fungus thing. And there's also like the the concept art of um, Yellowfinger Hazel. Yes, like one of her arms is like turning into fungus. Yeah, yeah, because it's it's sort of. In three, it kind of comes out of nowhere where they're like, yeah, you know, the Xanthus scholars, they were trying to be mushrooms. And it's like, what? But yeah. If you make that into a coherent theme, it sort of li lines up better. Another actually example, when you were talking about all these areas initially being more coherent was that the, um, I remember one of the first thing when I was starting to look into Dark Souls three, like seriously, I noticed that the, um, the Curse Rod of Great Wood, it had that crack with the hand that comes out. Mm -hmm. And then the pods that were hanging from it also had the hands. And then I noticed that the same yeah. pods were in Farron Swamp. Yeah. And then there were also hands that gave you curse. And I'm like, where is this going? And the answer is nowhere. But yeah. it's, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you can see, like, if you, you can see that like, there is something going on, but it, you don't know what. And he added that we also have this interesting, uh, this interesting sign mark at, at the front of Yorm's room that says that how the Storm Ruler is or isn't capable to bring down a huge tree or something. Yeah, it's like only a storm can fell a great wood or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which even in the alpha version... I I think to myself, okay, even in even in this version, they would still bring the fucking storm ruler. <laughs> yeah, he added that it's interesting how even in the early versions is interesting how Dark Souls 3 it's almost almost feels like they have to prove something towards Dark Souls 1. And they are constantly keeping Dark Souls 2 uh, down the carpet. 
Yeah. Well, one, one thing that Sin and I talked about is like, the story almost makes more sense if you assume it goes one, three, two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like two sort of like cleared everything away and was like, okay, that's all gone now, new story. And the yeah. focus is on like what happens after the Age of Fire. And then it's three and it's like, no, Lord, Lord Dran's back and the pod is that you link the fire again. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Weird enough. Yeah. Wesley. Oh, yeah. Uh, he added that, ironically, uh, even though they have this idea of to keep Dark Souls 2 down the carpet, uh, one of the creatures that is flying, not one of them, all of them, actually, that is flying in the sky, those kind of dragon snakes things, yeah. it's actually the dragons from Dark Souls 2. They just cut the legs off. Oh, my God. That's amazing. interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and he added that it's interesting how we can tell these different patterns in the dragons towards uh, the tails because the format of their tails of these dragons that are nothing more than the Dark Souls 2 dragons cut mm-hmm. the legs off, uh, they have some interesting pla- uh, interesting patterns because the the end of their tails is almost like a, a, a sharp thing and it's interesting how it's very similar to Yorshka's tail. And he added that how the Everlast dragons that were actually in the places of these drakes and the vanilla, uh, these fallen drakes at the beginning of High Wall, that used to be uh, arch dragons. And it's interesting how these dragons also used to have this pointy mm. tail. That is very interesting. I don't think where they were going to <laughs> with this, but it's there. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. And he added that there's also uh, the Moto Dragon concept, which maybe would tie these things off because we have this. It's not, we don't have enough proof of it. We will have these ties of Arch Dragon Peak and High Wall more firmly. It would be a more consistent thing. Maybe they yeah. were in war with each other, or maybe they were part of a, the same system or some sort. And the Mother Dragon maybe could have been the tie between these places because she also have this pointy tail. She looks a lot, she looks a lot with, uh, with these dragons that were falling in High Wall. She's also an Everlasting Dragon. She has all the the four wings she has separate hands and legs do you want to just um like quickly go over what mother dragon is for people who don't know yes uh mother dragon is this this dragon creature an everlasting dragon that looks a lot like midir mm. uh, maybe she used to be even more bigger She's a hell of a bigger creature. When Eugenia was showing me some images of uh, how she used to look like in the game, I kind of understand why that thing is not in the game anymore because it's fucking huge. Yeah. <laughs> it's at the size of a big chunk of scenario. Right. Um. So Mother Dragon, is that the dragon that you pray to or is that another dragon? That is another dragon. Eugenio actually showed me that that dragon that we pray at the at the mountain. I think it's actually a 
it is a different model of some sorts, but I do know for for a fact that that dragon actually has uh, a skeleton. It can yeah, actually yeah. move. Yeah, it's rigged, yeah. Uh, and he stated that it's also interesting how the Mother Dragon used to have some sort of similar concept to what Midir is in the final game. She used to attack us in a bridge. She used to be very constantly uh, pursuing the character to, uh, towards uh, all of her Dragon Peak. Oh yeah, there, there is some interesting thing about how Curiously enough, we would have some different buzz of men, some different uh, beings uh, with this concept. He stated that we would have this concept of buzz of men uh, coming out of what we already have in the vanilla game, that it's coming out of the hollows. We have the concept of buzz of men coming out of, the, of those slugs, those creatures. And we have also the concept of the Puss of Man coming out of, of uh, wolves also from the, from the Abyss Watchers. Right, because that's really interesting. We don't, we don't actually fight nothing like wolves or something no. that resembles the Abyss Watchers in that place. No. <laughs> and we also have this Nixle, uh, which is... Eugenio has told me some things about this thing. I don't... Personally, I still don't think what it was supposed to be because he has some data to cross references and to have an idea of what it was supposed to be. We have some effects also related to this creature. He added that most of people used to think that the snake soul was something related to that snake thing in the no image. Right. That was far at the end of the of the of the screen but it was actually the it was actually what similar similarly to what we already have in the vanilla game which is would have been the second form to gundir right but but more unique of some sorts it would feel a lot like lawrence in the dlc of bloodborne yeah he complimented that how he was not going to have uh, uh, legs and he would actually have only one arm or something like that. Oh my he would God. Have a, he would have attacks related to, to, the, to the Eclipse, something that would have, he would do, I think, curse damage, some sort. He would spill some things at you. He would crawl up in the floor with, in the floor with only one hand. He would have been almost exactly like Lawrence, maybe... Garbage, just like the Lawrence <laughs> in the game. So, so do you think like um, there would have just been the one Gundia fight? No, those ways. Or would there still have been the two? It would have been the two. The snake right. would consume Gundia, and then it would it would be the actual boss that we fight, but right. not exactly like what we have in the vanilla. He was always going to be the tutorial boss. Do you think? No, thank God he would not be in the tutorial. He would be actually in the place of the that unknown screenshot. He would actually be in the Osiris. Yeah, Osiris room. Is, yeah. So, um, who do you think the tutorial boss was going to be? Probably Yorm, uh, probably Yorm. Yeah, all right, 
what we know today as Yarm, that giant. Right. He added that Dark Souls 2 and Bloodborne and also Dark Souls 3 were almost in the development at the same time. And it's curious how they share a lot of thematic elements. We have in Bloodborne all this thematic of babies. We have these creatures from beyond that it's trying to have an air. In Dark Souls 3, we also have the concept of blood being something mm. very important to the story. We have the blood of Lothric. Maybe not Lothric the person, but Lothric the family. Yeah. And like the, the god's grave as well. Yeah, and he added that maybe because of this, uh, it can ha we can have a little bit more of understanding of how that bow with blood doesn't make any fucking sense after we defeat <laughs> Dancer. Because yes, it's, ju yes. it's just stopping you to get in front of his stairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very intricate stair system. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. And of course the blood comes back in the DLC with the whole blood of the Dark Soul thing. Sim. Yeah. Suddenly yeah. becoming massively important out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And as he stated, wow, it's raining outside. <laughs> okay, that was Lambo. Hi, Sophie here, slightly on edge because I'm talking about Reborn Again. Wesley's reference to the rain outside having something to do with Lambo is a reference to Reborn. Lambo is a character in Reborn, but what he has to do with the rain, I do not know. For I am only allowed to watch Reborn with Sin, and we have only seen Season 1. But what I can tell you about Rain in Season 1 is that there's a character who's in it very, very briefly, called Ranking Futa, whose power is to rank things in order of power, um, but if it rains he falls asleep. And you might think that's a very specific uh, power set and a very specific weakness. This is going to play into some kind of convoluted uh, story where, like, he has to rank something at a rate. It's nothing. It doesn't matter. I look forward to season two immensely. Back to the podcast. Gale is literally a reused of Hodrick, a reaper yes. of Hodrick. Yeah. <laughs> they do yeah. look very much alike. <laughs> yeah, and like Hodrick's whole thing is he's he has that relationship with Cirrus. Yeah. That's kind of similar to Gale's relationship with the painter. Uh, he added that it's interesting because all of this Hodrick and Gale thing leads us to Yoshka because he used to have this image of almost like a saint to mm. that was divided into two different characters which one was the painter and the other was Filiano, because mm. she is related to a very extremely important event that would happen in Don Orlando, that thanks to her or an item related to her or something that she would give to us was the, the catalyst that would bring Anne Orlando in time or make some sort of restoration to that place. Can you explain like what you think initially would sort of happen with Anne Orlando? They some sort of backtracked the the idea because the idea towards Arnolando is that 
we would actually go to a place that already is in ruins, but we would actually restore it to a proper good time to search for something in that place, which is actually the exactly opposite of what Ringgit City used to mm. already is. Yeah, Because in Ringgit City, we go to a place that it's frozen in time or something like that. And we advanced in time, I believe, or that is the common <laughs> accepted theory. We don't know. We think, sir. We think, sir. And we have this item of Filianor, that egg thing that is actually called Moon, that could have been uh, something related to Gwendolyn. Yeah, and it, it's obviously like very similar to um, the Guinevere illusion. Yeah. Like in the base in Dark Souls 1, where when you dispel the Guinevere illusion, that reveals yeah. a ruin down Orlando, essentially. Yeah, depopulated. Yeah. Yeah. So it would explain a lot because it would have been a very important thing of the of Anderlando because it's literally the only place that we have to go before the end game. At least with the information that we have, we would have done something in Orlando, something would have happened, and that would be the cause of why the, the world is literally in flames. Yeah, and, and again, like bringing it back to the Ring City, at this point, Anolondo's ruins would have been in a desert, um, not in the frozen sort of tundra of Irithel. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And yeah, and he complimented that it feels very weird in the in the vanilla how they just changed the textures, changed the colors, and added some effects to feel like there is no. But we actually know that snow doesn't pile up like that exactly. Yeah. Yeah, people were actually commenting on that, I remember at the time, when I was talking about it, like when it came out, like five years ago, people were messaging me saying, like, is there something like weird about the snow? Like, is it supposed to be ash or something? Because snow doesn't work like that. And <laughs> a couple of years after that, it's like, yeah, that was a desert. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's weird because they show this place in the desert in the trailer. But yeah, yeah. that intro. It doesn't go anywhere. Does anything from the intro actually show up? <laughs> oh my god! I believe that literally nothing from the yeah. intro shows in the game. Because you see, like the abyss watches coming up in the desert. Oh no! I don't understand. That thing, not even, not even we can understand. What yeah. was that? Yeah. So we actually reversed uh, the purpose of this thing of the intro. If it could be done, we have this idea, we don't know if we can make it, that those things from the intro is actually some sort of cutscenes from moment to moment. The beginning of the game wouldn't have any cutscene. And as we go along in the game, as we we achieve certain and specific uh, events, we would, we would have those cutscenes showing that, oh, these characters arise, or look at the, look at this place. This place uh, is being is being uh, empty. There's nothing there, and you will traverse to this place to find something. And it's been very hard to make sense of what what is in that mm. intro. But mm. I think it will. I think it will work fine because we just have to repurpose bits and bits of the the trailer. Yeah. I remember that happening with Dark Souls Two as well, where like. The intro of Dark Souls 2 would show the character 
Oh, it wasn't even an intro, it was a trailer, like this CG Dark Souls 2 trailer that showed the character going through all these areas that weren't in the game. And then yeah. it <laughs> was found like years later that, oh, no, those those maps are in there, they're just not used. So presumably yeah. like it's the same deal. And like the the Bloodborne CG intro, like the layout of Yarnum is like an old layout. So like it does, it, well, it did look like that at some point, but they just mm-hmm. changed it and didn't. I mean, it's expensive to make CG intros, so I understand. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. and Dark Souls 2, I mean, Shibuya had it to himself because he would never make that game. It's just mm. impossible. Mm. I, don't, I don't think we can actually see something of that scope even today. Maybe with the, the PS5 gen, we can see yeah. something similar too, but it's just crazy. You have a lot of places that seems like it's short but it would actually travel in time between these two these two places it reminds me a lot of castlevania harmony of innocence yeah yeah or um the like the zelda games where they'll have like the light and dark worlds yeah yeah it feels a lot like zelda yeah it's something that can be done but i don't think in that generation it would have been possible and he added that that explains a lot of why these different versions of Dark Souls 3 were entirely missing out because From Software had a lot of pressure to deliver this game. Mm -hmm. And just to think of the mess that would have been inside that place to develop three different games, two of them having a lot of stress, a lot of changes, and one of them even changing directors. We don't even know if Shibuya is in the company. I don't think he has any credits since then. Yeah, I, yeah. I, and I looked it. I tried to look for his name in, in Dark Souls 3. I tried to look for his name in Sekiro, yeah. and I just can't find it. I don't know even if this guy is there. And it's not even hard to know that those decisions did not came from, from software because if any of experience with huge companies and all have taught me is that when the discourse is this decision was made by me and this company that we hire, is never the decision of this company that we hire. Yeah. Well, e eu acho que a gente pode falar também do do que a gente planeja fazer com a Anne. And Eugenio wants to uh, bring this topic that it's very important to us because we don't actually know what to do, but it's the most exciting thing to to try to replicate and try to do that is the character of of Henry. Because we have uh, this boss that doesn't make sense. I will admit, I cried in the first time, but it doesn't make sense. <laughs> this uh, is Soul of Cinder. That is Soul of Cinder. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And if we look at his armor, there is some parts of this armor that really does look like uh, Henry's armor, the Elite Knight set. We have this knowledge that Soul of Cinder being a boss was very late game was very I don't even know if we have in the network test this idea of Soul of Cinder being a boss. Nenhum mapa de Firelink de não de Kion existia. Not even the map of the Kion um, existed back then. Well, this final Kion that we have with the flowers. And he added that we have this knowledge that the armors of Dark Souls 1 and 2 were an idea of almost like a month before the game released. Whoa. And that explains a lot about how the, the armors work in the game. This one is specifically from Dark Souls 1 and 2. We we sort of like 
try to backtrack it to find out what was the purpose of this character because we have the knowledge and I think you guys covered in the in that video of Dark Souls 3 content that Olaf Cinder used to be an NPC. He used to be a proper character. Uh, we don't know his name exactly, but he almost feels like he was filling the role of Henry back then, probably because Henry was not a character herself at the time. And we have this concept of Soul of Cinder back then, back when he was an NPC, that he have some skeletons and movements and and some sort of presence-like thing that he even back then he used to have uh, male aspects and female aspects. So maybe this was always the idea, something to be the contrary of the the player at the character creation. Well, also, like, the, the biggest giveaway was that, like, this CG intro of Dark Souls 3 is just, like, it's it's Soul of Cinder's armor, but it's clearly just a dude. Like, it's just someone walking around Lothric, and yeah. they're doing bonfire sacrifices and stuff. And that is so confusing if you don't know that this character started off as an NPC. It's like, what is the final boss doing? Exactly. <laughs> Why is the final boss in the room where we fight the Dark Wraith? <laughs> and then, and like, um, another thing actually that, that came out was like, just an oddity, because I, I ordered the special edition and it came with a statue of Soul of Cinder, but it had scimitars and it was called the Red Knight. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay. Um, you had to make these statues a long time before the game shipped, didn't you? <laughs> And like the Yorm statue is just called Soul of Cinder, and it's oh, yeah. no, no, called Lord of Cinder, and it's so like, oh, okay. There was some information that like suggested that Yorm was just called Lord of Cinder at one point, like that that was a character called Lord of Cinder, and they were specific to Lothric or something. Because again, talking about the weirdness of the intro, Yorm is waking up at Archdragon Peak in that intro. Yeah. So it looks like he was connected to Lothric at some point, and there's like some epitaph that suggests they worshipped him. It's it's so it's such a mess. Thanks, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, yeah, it's really weird. He asked if we can tell what we have think to Yorm in our mod, and oh, I think it's fair. Yeah, absolutely. Because I'm I'm not one hundred percent satisfied with what I have think to him, but it's but it's because I hate everything that I do. But okay. <laughs> but Best mod you have. <laughs> the character of Yom and this is sort of the mentality to everything surrounding what we are gonna do with Dark Souls 3 because I don't wanna make this game that could easily be called Dark Souls 2 since we already have a game that is called Dark Souls 2. Yeah. Yeah. And so part of the mentality to me in writing this story is to consider that Dark Souls 1 and 2 existed and even that Dark Souls 3 itself existed. So I wanted to make a game that it is, it's kind of hard to explain that. What I have written to the game is that it is supposed to feel like a meta story that this game and this mod is considering that Dark Souls 1, 2, and 3 happened. Mm. You're right. It's it's something that we cannot erase it. Unfortunately, Dark Souls 3 happened. So we... <laughs> <laughs> but what I have gathered with Eugenio is that okay, Dark Souls 1 have built this story that dragons are out of the cycle. And these beings of stone, they are out of the cycle. 
We also have the firekeepers, which is beings that are out of the cycle. But there is another thing that is out of the cycle, that they can exist by themselves, that they don't, exact, they don't exactly have souls related to the roots of the world, which is the giants. So I, and this is a lot of stretch, even when I was talking to Eugenio, that uh, giants, as, uh, just like the bed of chaos, they are related to nature. Uh, the bed of chaos and everything that comes from, uh, I don't know, some sort of natural order of this world, they are sort of like root. They have some roots pattern. they related to nature. So I think, okay, Yorm, he is clearly... Uh, someone big, but he doesn't feel like a giant because the giants in Dark Souls 2, uh, they have their face removed. So we have this character that in the intro, he is literally on fire, but the fire on him feels natural, feels like something that is awakened with him. So I thought like, okay, the fire, just like him, the fire... Uh, is maybe being called by the nature of this world. Maybe is something that is needed in the world of Dark Souls 3 to solve the problem of what is happening right now in the world. So I thought, okay, maybe he's not a giant. He's just a person, a very big person, just like everyone in Anorlando. We have Guinevere, which is a very big lady. We have <laughs> Gwen, that used to be big. It's not big anymore. So I thought, okay, maybe the flame burning in him is reacting to him because of something. So I crossed it, some references, and I make a huge stretch, I will admit. I made a huge stretch that we have this character. He's going to be named Halleck because we have this knowledge that Yorm used to be called Halleck. Yeah. We could have named him still Yorm just to for the purposes of familiarity to those who are going to play the mod. But I think this, uh, these little changes will bring a little bit more flavor to the character. So I named him Halleck. And, but I did a little big twist in this character because we have this concept of fire being something natural in him. So I think, okay, who can, who can just give birth to fire and be natural or be something related to fire and feel like something natural to him. Only a god of flame or something related to. So I think, okay, he might be that guy who we never saw something related to him ever again. But we can put him in this story to feel a little bit more connected and just don't feel like something that was only mentioned once and then forgot it, that he could be phlegm. The, the right. God of Flame. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. And and I write it that it would make sense that a God of Flame would give birth to to Flame or some sort and be natural, not something that it's going to hurt him. We have this with the mentality that Lord of Cinders does not exist in the world of Dark Souls Three. In this in this story, at least, no one has linked the fire. The world is going through this process because no one is linking the fire. We have this plot of Kaf that it's maybe uh, is stopping uh, people or manipulating people to not link the fire. He's building his own era. So 
we have this character Halleck, but he wouldn't fit exactly with the with the story of the mod, just being called the God of Flame and just came into the story without any reason, without, without some context and proper explanation. So I think to myself, and then I talked to to Eugenio, okay, we have to make, we have to create or repurpose a character for him to feel natural in this world. We have this character, Filianor, which is in the final game, is just one of the many kids that Gwyn had. They don't really go anywhere with this character. She's new, she's only appeared once, and she doesn't have a really significant pixelization for her in the story. So I thought, okay, we can bring back we can bring back a character that used to be there. It's not there anymore, and she's out of the cycle. So explains why this character will be there. So at the first moment, I just suggested to Eugenio. I didn't even have a story in my head. So I think it would make sense to Guinevere to be in the story. And he was like, I don't know. Give, give your best shot. And I say, okay. And we have this knowledge of what would be the explanation to Filianor to have something related to Gwendolyn without being related to him and without being a character that we never saw before. It was never mentioned in Dark Souls 1. So, okay, it can be Gwendolyn. It can be Guinevere. But why would she be in this story? Why would she be alive in this world? Because as far as Dark Souls 1 and 2 goes, time is not convoluted. Only the flow of time. And places do not bring back together. The explanation for that in the game is because it's a fucking video game. <laughs> the flow of time, the flow of time, it's convoluted, uh, and after you link the flame, you can finally die. But beings out of the cycle can still exist in this world. So I thought, okay, it is a huge stretch. It is a huge stretch, but maybe Guinevere can be the first firekeeper. And I oh. asked, and I asked Eugenio, that would, this will make sense. Yeah. And he will, and he asked to me, okay, why would she be the first firekeeper? Because we have this knowledge that Guinevere is the god of fertility, but we also have this knowledge that, you know, fertility, giving life, uh, giving birth to something, multiplying without losing its power feels a lot like the, the explanation of how the humanity works. And we have the and we have this understanding of how the firekeepers works. They are almost like a, they are filled with dark souls. Only them can be a catalyst of the humanity. That's why that's the explanation of why the bonfires can still be lit, because they are constantly filling them with humanity. All these things to to explain why Yorm Halleck, uh, it's there, and why it would make sense for him to be uh, there in the story. But okay, Filianor is Guinevere. We have an explanation, a cohesive explanation, a very stretch, a very stretched explanation, but a very cohesive one at least. That we have this character, God of Flame, and we have Guinevere. But okay, where would they be? Where would be a place that it would make sense for them to be in the story? The the first part of the plot I can't exactly explain because it's uh, it's the center theme of the story. It's the center of all the the events that is going to happen. But there is these beings that are forcing the world to uh, to being stopped in time, so to say, not literally, 
but as a concept. They are not uh, letting people link in the flame. They wanted this era to be exactly like this. So we thought, uh, okay, this world is kind of against the 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 natural the natural cycle of the world. So they need to stop letting the firekeepers or beans out of the cycle to exist. So a lot, a lot, a lot of explanation. I can tell exactly, but we decided that a logical place to relate these characters of Flam and Guinevere would be to put in them at Ringed City to be the manifestation or finally the the concrete version of what we always wanted to be, but Dark Souls 3 Vanilla never did, that is Londor, or place that looks like Londor. This place of beings that are against anything related to the fire. Yeah. It has the Londor sword sticking out of all of the yeah. rest. <laughs> yeah, and he and he complimented that it is weird how Ringed City has all of these assets of Anorlando, as uh, Modern Lake, and all of these places, but it doesn't really go anywhere. They're just feeling a, sh- a shallow purpose to just be there. So this is kind of what, of what I can say about all of, all of these characters, and of course. I have written something about Guinevere being connected to uh, Nameless King because he always existed, of course. He was always there in the development. He was actually a boss. He actually had a presence. He complimented something very interesting, actually, because it is it, it feels weird how Nameless King in the vanilla game looks like a hollow. Yeah. And we have this explanation of... Okay, the flow of time, it's the only thing that is convoluted, not the time itself. So if the cycle ends, you have a chance to die, even by old age. So he is not allowed to exist in this world anymore. So what would be the explanation to make sense and not be a huge stretch or something stupid like time is convoluted (laughs) to him to be part of this world, to be even an important figure? So I traced back some references and I did the logical thing that... Dark Souls 1 established that dragons are out of are out of the cycle. So if he was banned by Gwen, and we have this explanation even in Dark Souls 1 that he was banned because he allied himself with the dragons, so it is the most logical thing to assume that he's out of the cycle because maybe he's a dragon. Not a literal one, but maybe he is part of a covenant. He created a covenant by himself because he do he did have a covenant, in the first game, he had followers. So it would explain a lot. And because in the game, he just he's just is this shallow character, which is yeah. hollow, which it's not supposed to be hollow because he died. I just Why assumed he, he was died? dead. I just yeah. assumed he was like the other Lords of Cinder. And like when the bell rang, he woke up. Which is... Weird because if he yeah. aligned, if he aligned himself with the dragons, he's already out of the cycle. Mm. Why would he? Be, why would he be a lord of Cinder? Why would he? Why would he choose to link the fire? Mm. Which, looking at him, clearly shows signs that he did not. Mm. He just stays out of the out of all of this conflict with Gwyn, the flames, the dark, the abyss, and yeah. all. Well, I think we can also point out some things about him. Oh, yeah. 
and he also wants to share some interesting decisions that we had that we take in the mod that we also had like I told before, we have this knowledge that Firelink is a mid-game thing. Mm -hmm. So we wouldn't have a hub. So where would the player be in a cohesive way in this world? So he could level what? He could have he could have a, a setup to feel more like home or a little bit secure from all of these problems of the world. Uh, so we decided that he would stay in a hidden place in High Wall. Which because the beginning of the game he's getting in high wall, you are being called to to do something to Lothric. Lothric is needing of something we can exactly explain, but you are needed for something. So you have this hub because there is an internal conflict happening. So the civil war. Yeah, things are happening, and you are needed not only by Lothric but by these people who are being oppressed by this. A civil war that is happening there so you kind of make camp with these people in a hidden place so we kind of make some decisions to make how can i how can i th say where this place be do you guys remember where you get uh the broadsword and no, the astora é straight sword a chave do gray rat Oh, assim. where we have, where we get the key to save gray rat all right yeah yeah that's the like yeah. um where the dogs are, yeah. Yeah, where we yeah. have a vision, where we have a yeah. vision to that elevator to Osiris, and we decided to make that place uh, a temporary, a temporary hub, where that would be that would be a closed place that would uh, the soldiers of the rest of the world would not interfere directly to that place, because to get to that place it's weird because. I understand that it's a video game, but it doesn't feel natural because you are jumping towards uh, all of the houses that are surrounding that place. So we we thought that it would be natural to people that are running from the Civil War to be located in that place. So we have a temporary firekeeper to the player that we would, it would be there. We have some soldiers that are running for the war. We would have some civilians there. So it would be a very warm, cozy place to the character. It will, it will feel like, not exactly like the olden chapter because that place is spooky, <laughs> but it would feel a lot more like Firelink Shrine from Dark Souls 1. It would be this cozy place where you will meet familiar figures, you will have some dialogues with him, with them, and something happens in the mid-story that would take you uh, mandatory to Firelink Shrine that would, be your, that would be your hub in the second act. So you're keeping bonfire warping, but you like warp back and forth from. Uh, we are talking about this actually, but it's been a hard decision because with the tools that we have right now, we can exactly do what I, what I can always dream right now that it's making the world interconnected. So, uh, for now at least, until we have some more updates in the, in the tools that we have to us right now the world would have um, warping from the beginning because unfortunately we can have uh, the option for you to walk around naturally from a place to place. So it's been hard, but I think for, from now we are, we are considering this as a possibility. And this, um, this decision of warping from place to place is uh, influencing in how I will 
balance the areas. How many enemies will be in this area and, and all that. Eu acho que a gente pode contar as maluquices que eu já oh, yeah. criei. During this development process, uh, Eugenio had some <sighs> stupid ideas. No, no. That, oh, no. I, that I thankfully, I thankfully stopped him from doing so because <laughs> the first thing that he suggested to me is that, okay, Wesley, we're doing this, we're doing this PVE experience, but I'm going to have to take away some armors and mechanics. And I was like, okay, what are you going to do? He was like, first thing, I have to remove the parry. I was like, why? <laughs> why? Backstab também. Backstab também. And he was like, okay, we're removing uh, parry. We're removing repost. We're removing backstab. <laughs> I was like, dude, what are you doing? Were you trolling? No, he was actually serious about <laughs> He would say that to me with straight face. <laughs> And I was like, look, you could do this, but you will have to make a lot of a lot of workarounds to make this combat feel natural. Because if you don't have parry and you don't have repost and you don't have backstab, uh, this game, you will have to make uh, the aggressiveness of the character and how the enemies work be something more palatable to this kind of experience. Because the, because the only mean... Uh, the only means of attack that the player will have is to make a direct confrontation. <laughs> so you have to make a lot of reiteration upon that. Actually, make people not attack you at all, and that would be my ideal Soulsborne game. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. I love this idea. Sophie, do the outro. That was the Snack Covenant episode 263. We are talking about Dark Souls Eclipse, which is a very exciting upcoming mod, and we talked about it with uh, Eugenio, aka Abyss, and Wesley. It was extremely nice to be here. Thank you so much for the oh, opportunity. Oh, you were extremely nice to have. Yeah, thank you for coming. Yeah. Really, really thank you. Oh. And if people want to find you on social media, where should they look for you? Uh, on Twitter and in my YouTube channel. You can follow Abyss1 in Twitter. His nickname mm -hmm. is Abyss, but the one is not actually spelled with the O. It's actually the number one and then the N and E. And, and that is a very common mistake that people do when people are talking to him. People used to call him Abyssine. <laughs> <laughs> which is incredible. Mm. Abyssine. <laughs> So it's Abyss1 instead of the O with the number one in Twitter and also in Instagram. He had a Patreon, which you can uh, follow him in the Patreon page, which I think it's, it's Abyssine, the name? Yeah, also. it's patreon.com slash Abyss1, like one and E. Yes. I'll link everything below. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's probably, <laughs> it's probably better. Pay for the crap content. Uh, and if people want to follow me, I don't suggest it, but if people want to follow me on Twitter, uh, my nickname is Achille Souza, which is, uh, I will spell for everyone, but it's better if you go in the description. Uh, I spell A A Q U 
A L A S O U S A. Which to English would be that Souza. Souza being my second name. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for coming. Thank really you, appreciate yeah, it. You. It's really good. Oh. Our pleasure. We love you guys very much. Oh. <laughs> And thank you, Sophie. Thank you, Sim. And thank you, Wesley. Thank you. It was good to be here. And thank you, Abyss. Thanks, Sim. And thank you, everyone, for listening. <laughs> <laughs> And see y'all next time. Bye. Bye. Wesley, pode dizer, eu realizei um sonho. Agora eu posso morrer feliz. He said that he realized the dream. So he can die peacefully now. Oh. <laughs> Aim higher than showing up on this. <laughs> Wesley, pergunta aquela bolsinha ali atrás. Tá escrito só? Question. He asked if that bag back there is actually righted Sophie. Oh, yes, it does. That one. Eu quero uma. He wants one. <laughs> <laughs>